0: mm <clears> Ahem. <throat> Peasants, and welcome to Crowning Around, a podcast that aims to comment and understand the lives of the royal family through what we see on television, specifically the Emmy-winning show The Crown. My name is Sam Chung, and if you're anything like me, you know that there are plenty of resources out there to learn about royal life, but there's a large part of you that thinks, why would I do that when there's a TV show all about it? Luckily, I will not be going on this journey by myself today. I have two wonderful co-hosts who are going to share this experience with me. First, please help me welcome to the podcast, fellow peasant, Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, how are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing well, Sam. How are you doing today? I
0: am doing great. Um, And also with us today is Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, how are you?
2: I'm good. How are you, Sam?
0: Um, Again, I am great. (laughs) So (laughs) We're really excited, or rather, I'm really excited to be talking about this today because I've always wanted to dive into the crown. I've dabbled, but I haven't really gotten all the way in. So I'm very excited to learn about the Royal family, a family that I feel like I know very little about, especially compared to people who just pay attention to them in the tabloids all the time. And Ivan, this was sort of your baby. You sort of spoke this into the Twitterverse, kind of like a cry for help. And Carlin and I were the two people who were like, yes, we will take this journey with you. What made you want to take this journey?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I, I, much like you, am somewhat woefully ignorant um, about the British royal family outside of uh, their depictions uh, on, you know, through film and television. And really, it wasn't until maybe 10 years ago when I saw the King's Speech that I even had any kind of, like, Basic framework for 20th century royal family history, and then a couple of years ago, uh, you know, the Crown came along, and uh, you know, I, I, I've seen some of it, but really, most of my knowledge of these people ha- has come from film and television, and I, I, I think it's kind of an interesting lens to learn about them through because uh, you know you're getting uh, you know a, a certain narrative that may or may not resemble reality too closely, but it, it's a very entertaining depiction, and uh, you know. My entire perception of these people has been shaped uh, by this. So I thought it would be interesting to kind of speak with some like-minded people and, and comment on these folks um, as if they were almost uh, fictional characters, uh, which, you know, if you're watching The Crown, they might as well be. So um, that's what brought me here. And uh, you two responded to the call. <laughs> we did. Carlin, what what made you really gravitate towards this idea?
2: I mean, basically, I took a 20th century British history class like three years ago and promptly forgot like everything in the class <laughs> except for like the unit on the sex pistols. So I feel like the royal family, like, it's just a very interesting sort of concept that like Americans, like we don't have that. So it's like, you know, you just want to know more. But like the effort that you have to go through to actually like learn about everything, I'd never quite done it. And then when I sat down to watch The Crown in like the pandemic and stuff like that, it was like, okay. I'm just gonna go with this. Like this seems right <laughs> enough. I'm going to assume that this like premium quality tell this premium television show decided to do their research. And so I think also, yeah, so just the that's it, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. And so I think it's fair to say that if you are looking for commentary on what actually happened on unpacking whether or not this is true or false, you have come to the wrong place because we don't know. Whether this is real or not, we're just going to assume that it is real,
1: and so we're just going to go from there. And it's important to say we don't intend to learn; like we, <laughs> we have no interest in in taking a more uh, like historical analytical approach to learning about these uh, folks. Like we we really want to keep them within the world of like you know dramatized depictions of what happened uh, to these people and who they are um because because we're never really going to know them in real life they're they may as well be you know fantasy characters uh so yeah I, I intend to continue treating them as such as we move forward
0: when i was younger i used to really want to be knighted and then i learned since that i could never be knighted because i am not british so i harbor some resentment
2: that's actually a big disappointment wow i didn't know that
1: now i think you might be wrong about the rule of not being able to be united United? so here's where the ignorance comes into play again because i cannot (laughs) say with confidence what the rules are but i feel like i have some vague recollection of of an american public figure maybe not receiving like full knighthood but at least some sub-tier of it I but again, real thing. I, I, I'm not <laughs> here to die. I'm not here to fact check myself. Like, that's not the intention.
0: OK, well, I can backtrack a little and say I used to really want to be uh, in the Harry Potter movies and I learned that I could not because I wasn't British. So close enough. But yeah, as we alluded to earlier, none of us are really entirely qualified. We know very little. I have no connection to the royal family. I work in children's television. <laughs> which is very far from the the Royals in any, any sense. And I'm assuming, I, I studied abroad in London one semester, but I'm assuming, Ivan, you also have little to no connection.
1: Yeah, uh, none whatsoever. And, and you know, I, I think there has actually been, at least previously, like a very conscious aversion to wanting to learn about the Royal family, just because, again, their mere existence seems very kind of unnecessary and, and frivolous <laughs> frivolous to us uh, uh you know at, at least from an american perspective um so you know for the longest time it was kind of, just kind of like oh who cares about these people anyway but um you know a- again like really just kind of learning about them through movies and television ha- has made them interesting to me I-, I still could not even really tell you what's going on with them in the 21st century <laughs> like i i don't follow those tabloid stories like i don't really know too much about like you know Harry and Megan's separation from royal life and all that stuff that I kind of skim through the news about um but yeah for any anything that's like taking place in the twentieth century, I think through the Crown and King's Speech and other kind of related um and similar works i've I've become very intrigued with the twentieth century part of their timeline
0: and Carlin, I think they generally we want to come at this podcast with an open mind and we want to give all these people the benefit of the doubt. But what is our opinion of the Royal family generally?
2: You know, I feel like it can shift, you know, episode to episode, moment to moment. As far as I'm concerned, like with the real family, the only one I really stand is like Prince George, but it's because (laughs) he's like five and he's cute. So it doesn't really matter. He can't do anything wrong at this point. So like, that's about where like i think the actual opinion goes beyond that who really knows it seems to be like they are both somehow completely revered and like flawless and yet every single one of them at least as far as i'm concerned seems to have a scandal that might be wrong but you know (laughs) there's a lot of tabloids they're in there a lot i see them in the grocery stores
1: who's older george or charlotte
2: i think george is older he's the the older one
1: yeah he's he's the the heir apparent
2: yeah True. there's a lot of princes like they have like at least three generations of princes at this point so i don't know how they're keeping track of them all Do they have to like just come up with new regions like if they just guess... keep getting older and elizabeth just never dies is that what happens like are we eventually going to get like a what's yorkshire isn't an area york is no there is one of those that's <laughs> I think that a is an
1: area. area yeah i, I remember can't think that of, like,
2: the trashiest part of england that they would have to go to last if they just all never die
0: I'm imagining now that they just have some sort of eminent domain um, where they can just like reclaim your house if they need to create a new land for a duke, and they'll be like, sorry, you got to leave now.
2: <laughs> I just imagine they have to go to Canada at some point, like, oh, oh we, we ran out of places in the <laughs> mainland, so... You're, you're uh,
0: now the Duke of
1: Whistler. <laughs>
0: exactly. So to start off this podcast, we're going to be going episode by episode through The Crown, Starting with episode one, which is entitled, as Bertie says, Wolverton Splash. Wolverton Splash. I don't know where Wolverton is or why it splashes, but I'm very excited to dive into this episode with you two both today. Um, And Ivan, you're going to do a quick recap of the episode for us so that we can get straight into our reactions, observations, thoughts, comments, concerns, all of that.
1: Right, so uh, Season 1, Episode 1, Wolferton and Splash. And, and from my now multiple times viewing of this episode i still don't know what wolferton is or why <laughs> it splashes so sorry i couldn't answer the question for you um just right out the gate here but um yeah quick uh, recap of uh this first episode so um we open in uh, 1947 where uh princess elizabeth is going to marry the controversial philip mountbatten who's had to uh, renounce several uh kind of frowned upon foreign titles in order for him to uh, uh, be betrothed to her. Um, so, yeah, it opens, uh, you know, with their um, wedding. Uh, she is the eldest daughter of King George the Sixth, who is uh, um, coming up uh, into the later years um, of his life as he starts to get um, a little bit ill. Um, and, and that's kind of like how we're really introduced uh, uh, to this family. Um, you know, we see an aging king and his newly married daughter who will, um, you know, take over sometime in the uh, foreseeable future, um, and you know, then we flash forward a couple years later. Um, the king's uh, condition has kind of deteriorated, um, and uh, the doctors are giving him probably all of a couple of months to live so in order to kind of start looking ahead uh the pending um tour of the commonwealth is being delegated to elizabeth and philip um as opposed to being conducted by the king himself as is tradition um so uh when episode one ends uh yeah it is on the brink of this commonwealth tour that elizabeth and uh her husband are about to uh, embark upon. Um, And then there's a couple of other stuff that's going on um, in the meantime uh, in this episode. Um, Winston Churchill is re-elected as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland. So he moves back um, to the Union Jack White House um, and he himself is also very uh, cognizant of the uh, king's deteriorating health and the fact that he will probably have to be a very close um, and influential advisor to Elizabeth once she uh, ascends to the throne. Uh, so that's one of the subplots. Um, another one um, is that uh, Elizabeth's younger sister, Margaret, um, she is, uh, she has eyes for uh, the king's right-hand man, um, whose name escapes me at the moment, because uh, he's not a particularly it's charismatic Peter, right? or remarkable... Peter, Peter <laughs> yes. Peter? Yeah, yeah no, okay. <laughs> Peter did not make that much of an impression on me, so I didn't remember his name. Um, and, uh, yeah yo so Peter's uh married but uh Margaret has eyes for him and she has she she maneuvers him to be more involved and present and around the family than someone in his position would typically be Uh, going so far as to uh, suggest that he forego spending Christmas with his uh, wife and uh, children so that he can be quote unquote close to the King um, or something to that effect. uh, So she can essentially uh, spend Christmas with him. So, um yeah, that that's kind of episode one in a nutshell. It, it's a lot of place setting. Um you don't necessarily get a ton of action in this episode aside from uh the wedding, which is really kind of more of a, a a prologue to the whole thing. Um so yeah, it just kind of sets a couple wheels in motion uh that I would imagine um are going to, you know, be paying off here very soon. Um but yeah, that is uh Wolferton Splash for you. Yeah,
0: there's a I feel like there's a lot to definitely unpack in this episode with all the subplots going on. It's definitely very straightforward. Like it's easy to follow, but there's just like a lot going on. Carlin, where should we start?
2: Oh boy. I mean, I always like starting with Philip, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to start with Philip because he comes in and he is from Greece and Denmark, but they're not going to let him be from those places anymore. Apparently he has sisters who are all married to Nazis he's a he's a complex guy
2: i swear i mean it's it's interesting i'm sure everyone has like different opinions on like you take sides with like pro philip anti philip but i was so surprised about how quick you can make those judgments because like the moment he was like starting to whine about how like he had to go through these little you know like the formal getting rid of his titles thing and all that and i'm like philip didn't you sign up for this? they They must have told you <laughs> what was going to happen. like this is this is clearly an like exclusive pegging relationship. like if he he must have known. how do you not know this is going to happen to you, sir? So I'm just gonna be very curious going forward about if he ever gets over this seemingly surprise that he's like one hundred percent like, let's go with like second fiddle to Elizabeth. Very curious to see how that
0: dynamic plays
2: out. But yeah, he didn't seem that happy about like, getting married from the get go.
0: My take on it was this show hates Philip. Like, they. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why, but it makes me feel like I should also hate Philip. Like, why is. Okay, first of all, Elizabeth calls him at one point a snagaholic, which is a term I had never heard before. But I'm assuming, it sounds like a hoarder, but then she described something that <laughs> didn't really sound like a snagaholic. She was like, oh, he's upset that the carpenters are doing a bad job. Like, yeah, wouldn't anybody be upset about those things? So I just felt like the show doesn't want us to like Philip very much. Am I am I incorrect here?
2: Well, the confusing thing is they cast Matt Smith, and everyone <laughs> loves Matt Smith, so <laughs> what do they want from us? And I I don't know, I had interpreted that scene as, like, her being, like, he's trying to, like, be really micromanage about the house. And it all seems to come back to this idea of, like, he's trying to find his power somewhere in this situation where he's learning more and more that he just has no power whatsoever. So, I don't know. I want to see what he makes this house look like. Is he at least, like, a good interior decorator? He's a pretty- Okay, I'll give him this. He seems to be having really sweet scenes with the children that Elizabeth, like, doesn't do. Like, does she ever- Is there ever a scene (laughs) where she's, like, alone with them? Does she ever talk to them directly?
1: I didn't see one in this episode, no. Well, I think that actually dovetails into a kind of much bigger issue that I have with this episode is that it is very elizabeth light. Like, you actually don't get a ton of scenes of her. Um, Now, I think it's interesting that they chose to – open with this point in history before Elizabeth is queen. Cause it, it gives us a lot of uh, context, uh, you know, ahead of her ascending to the throne, which, you know, is, you know, gonna happen pretty imminently here but um yeah you get a lot of introductions and kind of deep dives into the psyches and motivations of a lot of the other characters um including her uh father and also her husband but you don't really spend too much time with her uh, at least in this first episode and you know when i think about this episode i really think that there's only one remarkable scene in in the entire thing and that is at at toward the end when uh the king and philip are having a heart to heart and the king kind of reinforces the message that you know you you, you kind of what you said carlin like you signed up for this buddy you you know what you got yourself into but also just kind of sort of recalibrating uh, that with him and and saying that you you might think that, you know, your ultimate act of patriotism is your involvement with, you know, the Navy and and your military history, but it's not. Your your act of patriotism at its peak right now is going to be to be a husband and supporter and protector of uh, Elizabeth. And that was a fantastic scene. Everything else in this episode kind of fell flat, but, you know, I I found it really surprising that we didn't get a single – kind of breathtaking scene of Elizabeth quite yet, given that this all kind of centers around her.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I was even surprised, like, they do this time skip, like, even with Charles. Like, it's this thing where you're like, okay, wait. Like, the next king has been born, and, like, it's all just so glossed over. And you're like, it's just this very strange idea of, like, what are her thoughts throughout any of this? Because obviously, like, I have also seen the king's speech, so... Like you kind of know that like she wasn't born to be the monarch here. And I feel like as a show, you'd want to at least delve into a little bit like what her thoughts were now that like she probably assumes at this point that she has a couple decades of just being the princess before she gets to actually be queen. So like the writer in me is like, hey, where where's her like ordinary life? So we can see like what's going to get messed up once she obviously has to ascend to the throne, and what we're assuming is going to be the next few episodes. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in her head. Like,
0: (laughs) yeah, it's definitely it's it's super interesting. I would love to because this kind of takes us into who is the main character of this episode. It's got to be Birdie, right? Mm -hmm. So Birdie's the main character of this episode, and he has quite an arc. I feel like he's going to die very soon, right? So this is like his episode to shine. Did he step up to the plate?
1: I I mean, yeah, this is his episode. Like, I which I. Looking back, find really confusing that they wanted us to spend this much time with him um, leading up to his death because we're getting very invested in a character who isn't going to be around in the show all that much longer. And in the meantime, we're not getting that invested in Elizabeth or or even Philip the way that we, we should be from the get go.
2: See, I I assume that they like knew that everyone had watched the King's speech and they're like they they know who Bertie is, <laughs> so we're going to give him one episode It's like a little little bridging into the the next pop culture phenomenon of the royal family. But yeah, I don't know. They didn't they didn't give Claire Foy enough to do. I mean, obviously like she does great with what she gets. Like we we have to admit that. Her her accent. I don't know. It, it's so surprising where like you start to hear the king's like the queen's English and you're like yeah, they, they all sound like that, right? And then the moment you hear another British accent, you're like, "Oh, oh, oh,
0: wow!" <laughs> that's a very different accent. Uh, so, who does George the Sixth better? Is it? And I don't. I should have pulled this up. Who is the actor who plays George the Sixth in The Crown?
1: Uh, that's Jared Harris. Jared oh. Harris.
0: Um, is it? Do we do we stand Jared Harris or Colin Firth as King George the Sixth?
1: I almost feel like they're playing two completely different men, uh truth be told. Uh cuz you know, just the the character arc that uh, you know, the fictional King George the 6th goes through in the King's Speech, um which again is all just fictional work to me. Uh you know, it's it's much more uh, you know, compelling, much more sympathetic. He kind of has uh much more of a you know hero's journey arc to go through um whereas you know here he's in the twilight of his life and and he's you know a lot more mature confident and wise but you know he's on his way out um but, you know, I think Jared Harris does a lot with what he's given here, um, knowing that he's going to be in the show for a very, very brief tenure. Um, you know, he he maximizes every single moment uh, he's on the screen, even if it isn't a very, um, you know, kind of broken and frail state.
2: I think the one thing that I already forgot the crown actor's name, Jared Harris. <laughs> I think that the one thing he did so well was like getting across this idea of like moral, pe- like mortal peril and like mortal fear of like the fact that you're dying. Like, there's just that one scene when like they're surrounded by the Christmas carolers and he has that crown on and it's like cutting off his hair, so like it it gives this like picture of like a cancer patient. Yeah, and you're just he's just like crying, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> like Jesus, <laughs> like they really just. I don't know. In that regard, I think he did such a good job with like the very small but very heavy emotional arc that he had because it's pretty much like what I imagine is like the most sobering and terrifying thing you could possibly get is like this news back in the 40s that like, yeah, you thought you were just getting like a very minor surgery, like no, we actually can't fix you at all. <laughs> You're going to die.
0: Yeah. And he t- he has such an interesting arc, right? Because he uh, he has to go through the full range of of emotions in this episode. In the beginning, he's He's running off dirty uh, limericks with Peter, which was one of my favorite scenes in the episode, just for like the comedy of it. But then he's telling Matt Smith that, you know, she is the job, which is, I feel like if anybody takes one line away from the crown, it's always that line. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that he is kind of like the voice of the crown almost, even though he's only here in this one episode. It's like they Ned Starked us. It's true. It's true. (laughs) Is he real life Ned Stark?
2: (laughs) Oh, Ned Stark wished he could have died like this.
1: (laughs) Dark? Real dark? Well, and, and the more that I think about it, like it, it's interesting that in a show where we're going to be spending a lot of time with people who, you know, through the eyes of commoners are are somewhat immortal and untouchable, um, that we're opening up with you know a king who is perhaps you know at the height of mortality, um, and and to kind of show how vulnerable and and not immortal he is, um, it's an interesting just, juxtaposition to to what's ahead, uh, but it almost like It's almost a disservice in a way because we're seeing somebody who is very uh, humane here. um, And that's our first introduction to a family that, as time goes on, doesn't really seem that humane. Yeah.
0: I would like to talk about another big personality in this episode, and that, of course, has to be Mr. Winston Churchill, played by John Lithgow. I just thought he was so great. I love John Lithgow and everything that he does. He's American, right? Yes. Yeah, he's American. I wonder about that choice because you know this is obviously such a big you know cha- uh, big British character, but I guess on the flip side, many British actors have played prominent American figures as well. So
2: I mean, if it's for generally an American audience, this show, like I couldn't tell if his accent was off. Someone probably could tell that. I couldn't. I was like, yeah, this is this is a great Winston Churchill impression. That <laughs> there's something about the way that man talked that was just I don't know I don't even know like what adjective needs to go with it like bearish almost you're I don't tempting
0: know. me you're tempting me Carlin you really want me to play this clip that I pulled
2: <laughs> I mean I don't know if this is the right moment you know what's funny about the Winston Churchill arc I like the moment they start like having him be there in the wedding and they start talking about the politics immediately I have no idea what's going on like I imagine American viewers who are just like yeah I assume it was just like Churchill and then just a uh, you know static for several several decades, and then you know Thatcher came in, where it was like, oh no, I I'm going to also learn about about you know prime ministers. Do I have to keep these people <laughs> straight too?
0: Because <laughs> it was gonna-
2: already like, oh, I hope Churchill lives a very long time because I don't know any of these people are.
0: I'm gonna have a real hot take, and British people are probably gonna be very mad at me, but <laughs> I feel like there's a strong. Correlation between the arc Of Winston Churchill and the Arc of one Rudy Giuliani <laughs> and, oh. okay. and I realized that That's not quite a flattering thing But I just you know it's like In the height of war people loved Winston Churchill they were like this guy is The best thing ever and then as time went On they were like please stop what you're Doing can you please just go Away somewhere else
2: oh my god No, I mean, I think that's true. I I think at least you start, I think that in the wartime, you just thought of him as apolitical because it was like, what other choice? It's like, you either get to be a Nazi or other. But like the moment the war ends, I feel like you start to be like, oh, wait, they're Tories, right? Like he very clearly starts to sort of show that. And then there's that one point where Bertie is like, didn't he say he was like glad that Winston won? And I'm like, I'm going to start seeing like, what political (laughs) (laughs) alliance does every single royal family member have? Because you know, they're gonna reveal it in some way. Oh yeah.
0: They're supposed to be impartial, but no, no one's ever impartial.
2: Absolutely not. All that so to say watch-
0: though, John Lithgow, great job. Great actor.
2: Yes. <laughs> no, he, he did great. Although I did not like watching him eat soup. That I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> that, isn't it?
0: This was one of your observations, right, Carlin? Or was it I who said this? Was it I think it was you who said this, that they never eat.
2: I mean, I think that it'll vary episode to episode, <laughs> but like As far as I can see they don't ever just like casually eat it's like all their meals have like very specific purposes for like they're having like you know a little family meeting about so and so it's usually very serious although I don't know they also gossip but like it just feels like no one (laughs) I also want to keep track of what they eat because it feels like they only eat like fish like maybe two other things like do you guys have any other kinds of food ever? Uh, you know
1: that's that's a really good call out um because I and I I wonder because we do get one scene of um, Elizabeth uh, having breakfast with uh, Margaret and uh, her mother um, in this episode and, and it is a bit of a production like they're you know they're they're talking and they're having you know uh, what turns out to be a somewhat meaningful conversation um you know about Peter um, as the meal progresses and, and it's all done in this you know very produced way like you know they have a staff there um you know everything uh is picture perfect and then you just have winston slurping away at the soup <laughs> while he's you know carrying on with a casual conversation and uh y- y- you know we we don't really get to see through the perspective of any commoners in this episode but you know we at least kind of get that contrast between you know winston a non-royal figure and uh you know the very hoity-toity um uh you know Uh, Royal family, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Any closing thoughts on Winston Churchill? I'm assuming, I mean, we're gonna get a lot more Winston Churchill moments.
2: I mean, let's let's go. Let's see what Winston does. Does he ever get to sit down? I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Why do they do? Why do they make this old man just stand up? I don't know. It feels like one of those rules that's like someone should really rethink this rule.
2: I mean, it seems like they have to go back to like 1700s rules where like the queen or king gets to sit on a really high chair. And then the commoners just have to be on the ground like why are they bothering with this middle ground like either everyone gets seats or no one gets seats and it has to be very apparent who is in charge.
0: Yes. Um, We get a full surgery scene here. I didn't realize we were going to get into like ER on this show.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, they have to give us like every Netflix show. They have to have gore and they have to have sex. And so this is just how they chose to do that, you know? They're like, oh, yeah, here's th- some blood for the audience. Look at this um, giant, massive lung.
0: <laughs> and then they, like, cut it with scissors. I was like, oh, I was not ready for that. Oh, my God.
2: You're like, I can't tell. Like, the whole idea of having the surgery team come to the house, like, I assume they're really qualified because, like, it's the king. But you're like, this, this doesn't seem right. Are they actually doing a good
0: job? I feel like I don't know enough about the timeline of people learning about cancer, but they they remove a lung and then they continue to allow him to smoke heavily. Like, how is this okay?
1: And you have Peter advocating for bacon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy.
2: I don't know either, but I also, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but like one of my favorite like scenes that doesn't matter in this show like in this episode was when you see that one hospital orderly, like put the lung in some newspaper and carry it off. And like, I really like to assume that like that lung went onto the black market and like someone (laughs) is like, I want King George's fucked up lung. like
1: Yeah. The the newspaper as a wrapping was a choice that I wanted to learn more about. That's a real Wolferton splash.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, one thing that I think is a little unclear, to me at least, is the relationship between Liz and Phil. And I feel like they try to play it off like they kind of like each other, you know? Like, they have that scene where they secretly kiss, even though all of the butlers are watching them, so it's not so much a secret. But I just don't, they're so old now that I don't really see them as romantic beings, I guess. Is this is this something that we think is real? What? Or are they just trying to play with us?
2: I feel like something has to... Okay, here's the thing. Like, they've been together so long. <laughs> and apparently they can get divorced, as we see in the tabloids. So to me, like, I don't know if they're, like, suffering from, like, 1940s couple syndrome, where you just never get divorced no matter what. But I I think I assume that they liked each other at least a little bit in the beginning. I think Elizabeth liked Philip more.
0: I think so, too. I guess?
2: I, that's what that's the impression I'm getting. Or in some but way he doesn't.
0: It's so hard see, because else? he stuck like he could have left, I guess, but he stuck around. I don't know.
2: I I mean, could he? Wasn't he? I was. Didn't he not have any? <laughs> didn't he lose all his titles? I wonder what <laughs> he would have done.
0: I guess that's true. Wait, did he choose? So Mountbatten is a name that was given to him by the English, I think so. right? And they chose yeah. that name.
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, wait. He has, no, wait, no. He does have some sort of family, I think that, like, is rich, too. So I guess he could have left.
0: But the family are all married to, as Winston Churchill says, Nazis. To Prominent Nazis. Nazis.
2: That better be explored. I don't know. There's, <laughs> there's probably just, like, Some secret Nazis running around. Like, you'd think they also would care about that. Like, didn't they just fight a war (laughs) against Nazis? And they just like... I mean, I guess you could kind of feel bad for the guy. Like, maybe he wasn't an actual Nazi himself. But you're like, the optics on this. I don't know. Maybe Elizabeth really did, like, gun for him. Because you'd think they wouldn't want that. I don't know.
1: I I think the like what Philip is getting out of this is is pretty evident you know he he gets to marry into the royal family gets all the these titles and this charmed life um you know from Elizabeth's perspective it's like okay so this guy is you know seems like a pretty respected naval officer you know handsome dude um you know i i, I could see her being into him i mean i don't know what her alternatives would have been at the time but you know as, as far as um you know kind of well-rounded figures goes he 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 seems to he seems to bring a lot to the table from from a from just kind of like a pure publicity perspective
0: yeah and philip to me sorry i just keep we just keep circling back to philip philip is like the world's most entitled frat bro like <laughs> <laughs> at least that's the way they make him seem he's out here like rowing to show off his masculinity i just i can feel the toxic masculinity just It wants to come out at some point. So bad. It didn't in this episode, but I feel it coming. It's like brimming right underneath the surface.
2: Yeah, I do see them doing little saves here and there where they like clearly show that Philip like likes hanging out with sort of likes his children in a way where like you just I I know I'm gonna keep harping on this, but it seems like no one likes Charles and Anne. And I feel bad for them. Like they, they got some cute kids to play them and like I assume that things will only go downhill for these children from here and oh my god yeah he had some cute scenes with them i can't remember exactly what they did but like they he was he was kind of sweet with them you know they he held one of them at least for five seconds like i don't know yeah no but overall yeah frat boy who can occasionally save himself a little little bit i feel like that's what they're gonna do he's gonna get like five seconds of like Mm -hmm. really greatness and then
1: yeah. Well, I don't think that toxic masculinity is merely bubbling underneath the surface. Like, it's there. Like, we see it in this episode. <laughs> uh, I mean, even, you know, toward the end where Elizabeth has to, you know, talk Philip into doing this Commonwealth tour, and he's like, well what are we going to leave the kids behind? Am I going to leave the Navy behind? It's like, well, yeah, dude, that, that that's what you signed up for, which, you know, again, the King kind of reinforces that message uh, toward the end of the episode. But th- there was also that, that comment that he made um, right after his little, uh, what, what, whatever that ceremony was where he lost titles or gained titles or traded titles. I I don't really know, but um, you know, he made a comment that, you know, uh, he was going off to his stag night that evening before the wedding. And it was like, he said something about like, Oh, a Naval officer stag night. Like I'm not going to, you know, get any sleep tonight, which is basically like him saying to his, uh, you know, bride, like, Oh, there's going to be some debauchery tonight. You know, it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Phil. Yeah. Phil has, I feel like, a hissy fit at the end of the episode. He really wants... Why is he so intent on being a naval officer? You know, like, just accept it. You're a prince. Like, why Why do all this extra work? I don't understand. Be less ambitious. Do less.
2: He just... He cannot be from, he just can't be a fop. Apparently that's just like, he is so anti-fop. It's like, sir, you you married into like the number one foppish family. Like maybe the French are like more, but like he pretty much picked one of the top five. Like, sir, if you really wanted to go be some sort of like military outdoorsman, you should have gotten adopted by America. Like he didn't pick right in this case. And, you know, we're going to see what happens to him now. But yeah, yeah. he's really obsessed with the Navy
1: I I will say it is it is interesting from again an American perspective where you know here some of the most privileged and powerful men in our society are generally kind of seen as trying to avoid military life and and you know just kind of dance around it. Whereas, you know, here in, in 1940s Britain, it's, and, you know, it makes sense because we're coming off the heels of the war, but, you know, the the involvement, uh, you know, his involvement in the military is just so aligned with his sense of self-worth and patriotism and masculinity, which, which is a pretty stark contrast to, you know, a modern American man today. So, you know, I I think that's, that's worth calling out that, you know, that's kind of something that we're Learning about here at least that that's that that's kind of my major takeaway from this episode about you know tr- the tr- traditions and history of the royal family during you know this time where like even a member of the royal family wants to be super involved in Britain's military operations. Well,
0: that kind mm-hmm. of segues us, uh Ivan, into just re going over because we've kind of touched upon a lot of the key elements of this episode. So, what what did we learn from this episode? What are what are the takeaways that we can take away from the crown? Episode one of season one, Wolferton splash.
1: Uh, the best remedy for a tumor in your lung is more smoking.
0: <laughs> noted. Well noted. You have to take one lung out first though. And then, <laughs> <That's> con- <right. laughs> then continue to smoke after that.
1: It only so- increases the high.
0: <laughs> so here's a crazy theory. And if you know me at all, you know that I love a good crazy conspiracy theory. So, do you know the film Inception directed by Christopher Nolan? Yep. Yes. You know how they <laughs> never you never see the the children until the end. There's always these two ideas of children. I feel like those are the same children that we saw <laughs> as Charles <laughs> That's and Anne. Charles and Anne. So, is this well, all a dream? I... Do we live in a dream?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's it.
1: That's it. Yeah. Um Yeah. And then, um, you know, just as far as like, we've already talked about how, you know, we're not super into um, Philip. um, You know, King George is great. Uh, Jury's still out on Elizabeth because we haven't spent too much time with her. Um, But is there anybody else besides the king in this episode that you two thought was kind of an exceptional figure, somebody that you could see yourself palling around with?
2: Well, see, I don't think that she's an exceptional figure, but I just really like Elizabeth's mom. But it's very specifically because she has this look in her eyes that like somehow she has known every single secret, but like no thoughts in her head at the very at the same time, just just nothing going on. And at the same time, just. She has this voice like I think it's because the actress might be younger than slightly younger than the age she's playing. But she sounds like a really young like 1940s actress. And on the flip side, Elizabeth sounds like she's like 20 years older than she should be because she sounds so formal. And so it's just this very strange dichotomy of just who are you, Queen? She's not Queen Mother yet, but like Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth's mom. I'm going to follow yeah. you and I hope you continue to do nothing in a way that actually is very impactful.
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic call out. I, I can't believe we didn't talk about Elizabeth's mother. Cause that, that's also one of my kind of like, anchors that i came into the show with the, you know, having seen the King's speech where that uh you know person was played by helena Bonham carter in that film so i already have like this like you know sense of who this woman is and and the interesting thing about her is that you know at the time that she married Bertie, um there was no uh expectation that he would be king so she went into that marriage not expecting to become the queen whereas uh you know elizabeth has grown up uh you know prepare to inherit that title one day and and i wonder if you know the fact that uh you know elizabeth's mom speaks more like a commoner whereas elizabeth speaks more like like a royal is a byproduct of that
2: i don't know she's just very quiet she's just not you know you have to listen hard she she clearly demands respect because she won't talk loud oh my god love that woman always standing elizabeth's mom
0: (laughs) is that the key to commanding respect just talking really quietly.
2: Yeah, think about it. Then everyone has to listen really hard.
0: I understand where you're coming from, but I think at the end of the day, this is really Birdie's episode. You know, this is one chance to shine. You really can't get any better than than what he did in this episode. He had to, I feel like he probably seriously injured himself with all the coughing he had to do. Really put himself through a, a Revenant-esque experience. <laughs> Just coughing incessantly. So yeah, I I think he did a great job too, you know? Oh, and, and to go back, I think what I, what I really learned is that all you really need to do to be king or queen is to get through your file cabinet of folders, maybe like this thick, <laughs> and that's it. That's the job. You just flip it upside down, and then you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do want to give, give one more shout out um, to Churchill's wife who came across as extremely uh, likable. Um, uh, she kind of had this aura of like, I cannot believe we're doing this shit again. Like we're, we're, we're living in the Union Jack White House once more. I thought I was done with this place. Um, I really liked her. Um, and, and I'm excited to see where her storyline goes from here.
0: Yeah, I liked her too. I don't know if you heard it in the Nazi clip that I pulled. It sounds, <laughs> but you can hear her after the first Nazi just whispering, shut up. I'm going to play it right now. Narciss.
1: prominent <laughs> Yeah, she she is fantastic.
2: She really is.
0: All right, the last thing that I thought would be fun, this is, <laughs> this was, uh, you know, it just came to me today, but there were, this is Netflix, right? And Netflix kind of occupies a similar space as the HBOs, the Showtimes, the premium cable channels. And as such there's bound to be one or two kinky moments. And so I think for episode 101, we are going to award what we are going to be calling the Kinky Crown Award for kinkiest moment of the episode. And I know that I have several nominees that I would like to put forth to you. But again, you two, if you think of additional nominees, can throw out your nominations, and then we can decide who wins the award for kinkiest moment of the episode. So kinky moment number one, is Elizabeth forcing the word obey into her wedding, <laughs> her wedding vows. Obey. <laughs> the second nominee is of course, Prince Philip sleeping in the nude and then being woken up by his father-in-law. Um, I think that was a classic. Um, and then let's see, I had a third nominee and now I forget what it was. Oh, nominee number three. And this was a moment we did not touch upon, but, is going to, I feel like, become a bigger subplot later on, is Princess Margaret convincing Peter to skip out on his own family and come with her to
1: Christmas in Scotland.
2: Yeah, I don't think there was really anything
1: else that was <laughs> that, was that uh, level. You, you you forgot Churchill slurping the soup. Oh, oh
0: God. <laughs> a Winston Churchill soup slurp. Okay, so uh, those are four Kinky Crown Award nominees. Looks like it. All right carlin where do you lean on this
2: um i i lean toward philip i think he like (laughs) they got him one of those like john snow butts like he had that perfect round (laughs) they got that that one shot yeah i'm gonna have to go with him i don't know like does philip really sleep in the nude when they have really (laughs) told anyone that i just like think now everyone's gonna think that like i support it you know I think On this
0: podcast, it. he does. We're taking does. everything we see in the crown as fact.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I like that reveal. Thank you, um, Peter Morgan, for that information.
1: <laughs> Ivan, where, are, are you in concurrence? Um, no, I'm going to dissent here and say that uh, Elizabeth adding the word obey into the vow, <laughs> um, which which I, I I don't think I initially read that scene the way that you're reading it, but, <laughs> uh, but now it's headcanon for me. <laughs>
2: See, this whole podcast is really just trying to decide if is Elizabeth the top or a bottom. I don't really know. <laughs> we're going to
0: figure that out.
1: We got 40 episodes to find the answer. Oh, man.
0: So it's down to me. Those were, I think, my two top contenders for the Kinky Crown Award as well. But in this case, I'm going to side with Carlin. I think you get full butt in episode one. That's deserving of a Kinky Crown Award. So congratulations to Prince Philip. You have won the first Kinky Crown Award of the season.
1: But Churchill still has a chance. We got the rest of the season.
2: <laughs> he does have that like hot new secretary. So you know what?
0: Oh, that was so creepy. That was another Giuliani thing that he did. Just <laughs> I was like, oh no. Come on now. <laughs> the parallels were just writing themselves. Oh my god. Honorable mention though to this moment that I almost put on the Kinky Crown. Uh, nominee list there's nowhere better than a splash <laughs> <laughs> just birdie going there's nowhere better than the splash and, and so. you're
1: just playing that now
0: <laughs> i had to save one surprise for the end um all right i think that just about covers it right i don't know any closing thoughts on episode 101 of the crown
1: uh ivan how about you uh again surprisingly not the best episode um, for, for a show that is supposed to be about queen Elizabeth. We don't get a ton of uh, Liz here, um, but you know, I, I've got an open mind here. I think that they're going to course correct here fairly soon. Carlin, any closing thoughts?
0: Yeah, I agree. Um,
2: I am hoping there's more Elizabeth and less me having to keep track of all the prime ministers and I'm ready for it. You know, um rip birdie. I'm really sorry, but um, <laughs> I'm here for Claire Point. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I'm very excited to see where we continue on this story. I mean, I guess excited is the wrong word because it's history. I could just look it up and and spoil myself. But don't you dare. <laughs> I, I will not. No, I promise I will not. That was one of the stipulations of joining this podcast, but I'm excited to to watch this show through the lens that we are currently watching it and continue to talk about it with both of you. So This is the first of hopefully many episodes that we can record. There are 40 crown episodes, right? So we have quite a library to get through.
1: Um, and two more seasons on the way. Uh,
0: let's see, Ivan, if people want to follow you on social media, get your thoughts on the crown as we're doing this rewatch, where can they find you on social media?
1: Well, uh, truth be told, I don't think people want to follow me on social media, (laughs) but, but, but if they must, um, um, uh, at Ivan Vukovic. That's V-U-K-O-V-I-C. Um, yeah, no, uh, but but it's kind of a wasteland. I wouldn't bother.
0: <laughs> Carlin, you're more active on the Twitterverse. Where can people find your thoughts on The Crown?
2: Um, just at Carlin Greenwald. Um, C-A-R-L-Y-N, color green, W-A-L-D. Pretty easy. I don't think there's many people with my name.
0: Have you done that? Have you done a um, how many of me?
2: I have. There was only one Carlin Greenwald, or like it was like one or fewer. So I might not even exist.
0: <laughs> Fantastic! And you can follow me at uh, at Sir Sam Chung on Twitter. I also, I think, took that handle on Instagram, but I never post anything.
1: Wait, wait, Sam, you you united yourself on Twitter?
0: As I said, I really wanted to be. <laughs> Knighted. It all came full circle. This was a joke that was, what, 56 minutes in the making now. So (laughs) it was all coming back around to this moment.
1: If you're still listening, you're welcome for that payoff.
0: (laughs) Another thing about me, my jokes sometimes take a while to get to the punchline, but it's always worth it. So yeah, and then just to close this out. Uh, You can stay up to date with all of the latest updates about the podcast at our Twitter account that we just set up uh, at crown around pod. We're also on Facebook. So definitely follow and like us there. This episode will be uploaded to our website, www.paginatedmedia.com slash crowning around. It'll also be available on any platforms where podcasts are available and coming up at paginated media. We have some really exciting things. Uh, As always, on Tuesdays, we'll be releasing new episodes of The Outfit Repeaters, an unofficial Lizzie McGuire recap podcast. So on Tuesday, we'll be recapping season two, episode 13, entitled You're a Good Man, Lizzie McGuire. And then a week from today, we'll be back right here at Crowning Around to recap season one, episode two, entitled Hyde Park Corner. So we're really excited about that one. Very excited to keep diving into the crown. I think this was very fun. In the meantime, thank you all for listening. Hope you have a good one, and we'll see you then.
1: God save the queen. God save the save the
0: queen.